Can you hear me? Yes. All right. So this, right. So this is Fam Electric Ghost, and we have Dance Loud uh, Electronic Duo from Chicago on the line. Howdy. How are you doing? Hi. So, All right. Got some headphones. I think we're good to go. Let's see. Okay. So you guys met, what, in 2008 in art school in Chicago? Yep. Um, through a mutual friend, technically, we ended up having a class directly outside from each other. So our classes were neighbors. Okay, that's cool. So you, um, both of you have, like, degrees in music. Um, Kristen, you have a degree in, in audio engineering? Yeah. So I took uh, recording arts, same thing, sound design, production, whatever you want to call it. And <clears throat> there wasn't really minors in, you couldn't really take a minor, but I uh, kind of part minored in music and music business. So then Desiree did uh, music business primarily and then took some fun audio courses. That's cool. Yeah. So typically like what I do is I go through the questions I, I, um, I, um, I sent you, but you're, you're interesting with your background is like your combination DJ and electronic, like analog. So it's like, you know, digital and analog together along with DJ and live drumming, mm -hmm. which is really, really cool because, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of analog since my whole sound is kind of rooted in that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And progressive yes, rock bands. That. Like you, you mentioned like tool, and Pink Floyd and Radiohead and Dead Mouse. Um, yeah, I mean, my 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 inspirations were like you know Keith Emerson, Pete Townsend, you know, uh, Yes, Parliament Funkadelic, Sun Ra. <laughs> That's yes. kind of where I'm coming from. So you're kind of in in the same space with the progressive rock that you know name checks that you have here. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. And I've seen that you've got your uh, uh, a, a sub thirty seven. <laughs> yeah oh yeah i mean that was like a labor day sale and i mean that was part of the reason <laughs> yeah we went yeah. in a rabbit hole of looking up like analog synthesizers and you know when we first started doing music production we were using a lot of soft sense and it yeah. there was a missing uh sub tone that we needed we just we, yeah. i think well, we're both fans of the mid-low tones yeah, well, uh, modes, modes tend to give you everything you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's like a motorcycle. It is. We were, yeah. we were demoing so many of them at the stores, and it just didn't – it was just extremely clear that it, you can feel it, and then we we're trying to make sure every frequency goes through your chest. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah the I'm, soft synths I... were great, though, but for the high mids. Um, but... Yeah, the one thing about the synths is, like, the, the modes, you know, there was a point where people stopped using them, because I, I read a story that recording engineers, like when you get to the 80s, um, well, by the 90s, you had a lot of engineers were saying that the progressive rock coming from the Moogs and like the R25 600s and the Profits was too heavy mm -hmm. in the mix. And so like the DX7, Yamaha DX7 and the Roland D50s, like the FM and linear sense were not as, didn't, didn't kind of slam through the mix as heavy. Mm. And so there was like a, a, a decision for a lot of producers to stop using the analog synths. Oh, um, gee. I mean, maybe because, it's also with the guitars becoming so popular too at the time. 
Yeah, it was it was it's this idea that they, you know there's a certain sound that comes with these mobs or profits or any of these analog sense that now you hear coming back. And but, I believe, uh, yeah, you're right <laughs> exactly with that last sentence because I think Moog screwed up on their voltage and accidentally it be, that's that quote unquote fat sound. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think yeah. there's there is something with it because you know if you if what because when you look at the frequency, I mean, it's like across the board from like 20 to 20 almost. And it's interesting to think about, you know, when they started to take it out, the same reason that, you know, Terry Date that recorded Pantera and Slayer and Deftones were using 58s for the vocals instead of condenser microphones just to be able to pinpoint certain frequencies and it not be across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I think like it's interesting because I, I have my modes are all semi modular. I've got like grandmother, the grandmother, and the mother thirty two and the D fam, because they they kind of go back to the beginning of Moog with mm -hmm. their old big modules, and I kind of like like the CP three mixer is this is something that if you ever experienced, it just has a lot of gain. It just creates crazy amount of distortion and Man. kind of feedback. And but um yeah, it's just cool to see a band using the modes because I see so many people using soft synth and it's cool and it's affordable, affordable. Mm -hmm. but, but there's something about these analog synths, you know, that's why the R2600 came back, you yeah. know, it came back this year at NAMM and that thing was used to create R2D2, it was used on Alien and Apocalypse Now and, you know, uh, Johnny Winter used it on Frankenstein. I mean, there's, there's a I mean, lot of cool stuff that these analog scents are kind of like famous for. Mm -hmm. And even Pete Townsend used an ARP on Who Are You, and, um, the song Who Are You. He actually ran his guitar through the envelope follower. Oh, and yeah. That, that, that's how you it's get that processor. Plug yeah. right in. It's got yeah. all the pedals you ever need. I think Motley yeah. Crue started to do the same where they're running guitars through synthesizers. And that's where the yeah. drummer started to get into synthesizers and, and production work. Doesn't Tom York run his vocals to that one of the most? Yeah, yeah. Radiohead's famous and Wilco are famous for running all kinds of instruments and vocals mm -hmm. through 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 ARPs and through Moog, you know, ladder filters and yeah. probably five like, you know, state variable filters and stuff. But um yeah, I get too technical, but <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I I, I really loved reading and watching about Bob Moog because he he just seemed like such a humble guy that was like, you know, I'm an electrical engineer. And he felt that the universe had sent him, you know, these things for yeah. him to to give to musicians. And he, he said he was like, this isn't my idea. This idea was given to me. And I found that to be really beautiful. Yeah, I watched his biography um, on, on the net. And, you know, I've got a bunch of modes and they've got these statements in the manuals where he basically says it's kind of like the universe is talking to him mm -hmm. uh, through these machines. And that's why Moogs have the character of a guitar, of a, mm -hmm. like, of a Gibson or, you know, of a, of a Strat, because they're hand-built and models. You got to ever had like a Model D, a 72 Model D versus a 74, they sound different. I think it um, makes a difference it, it, too. It's employee-owned. You know, I mean, yeah. once you start... Once you got happy workers, you got some good products. It's like a chef-owned yeah. restaurant. Yeah. It, it goes across the board for people that use it. I mean, I think Dr. Dre had a Model D, you know. Yeah, it was I mean, just... yeah, the mod yeah. I mean, he took the Parliament Funkadelic sounds that Bernie Worrell was doing with his Model D, and then he had some producers and keyboardists kind of bring that sound to him. 
Um, besides just sampling punk parlor and funkadelic, some people thought he just sampled it. Like on the chronic, they actually play live lines. It's mm-hmm. not just sampled. They're actually using the Model D and playing original lines. But a lot of people thought he just lifted it, but they didn't. Uh, some of them are, but a lot of them are actually created. There should be you know. famous presets named after these songs now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's interesting. So you're from Chicago. Uh, yeah, I am Kristen, and Desiree's from outside of St. Louis. Uh, in the St. town Louis, like okay. my, near where Miles Davis is from. Oh, awesome. So I had like a really strong rock, jazz, blues upbringing. And my upbringing didn't know what that was. Only Michael Jackson and Motown exists. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's cool. You got a hybrid kind of mix and soul and then rock. And, and, and then you've got the like the modern DJ. Yeah. With the live drumming in the analog sense. That's like kind of, to me, it's like cross genre is kind of where it's at. And I've, I've been a big proponent of mixing like progressive rock with a punk aesthetic and then, you know, jazz, like overtones, like bringing Sun Ra. Sun Ra is one of my favorite jazz outfits, but um, yeah, it's just interesting to see what you guys are doing. And you guys, you had the pretty cool um, um, experiences live. You played in a, at the Knitting Factory in uh, Tammany Hall, yep. in Oz, in New Orleans, and the Bonaro Artist Lounge, and a bunch of Chicago venues and stuff, and, and some LGBT festivals. So you guys have been playing for a while. Right. The Knitting Factory was the first uh, and reason why we went and got a tour bus. Uh, we That's why we had only 28 days to build a Ford E450, <laughs> like a yeah, shuttle okay. bus you would see at, you know, a what like a hospital yeah. or an airport that was when we had our first yeah, yeah. booking agent yeah. so um with the agent involved it just gave us the drive <laughs> literally yeah because yeah. i you know when i was like 18 years old uh we i did a our first kind of tour with a kind of like an indie rock band that was kind of radioheadish we went down to new orleans and i just remember sitting in a car for 15 hours upright and just so uncomfortable so when we were kind of doing the truck to New York, I was like, well, I, I want to be able to lie down, you know, and be able to relax. Like, yeah. I felt like I was exhausted the whole trip because, you know, there wasn't much time to sleep. And, you know, when you're driving, that should be the time that you should be able to sleep. So we, you know, threw some bunk beds in the back and it was prior to van life. You know, it was it was like 2012. All we had was schoolie.net. Yeah. And there was, you know, these people from the south that you know were kind of creating these buses kind of like van down by the van down by the river style and you know so we had not much to go off of of what to build on you know but I knew I wanted to have like a little kind of restroom area and somewhere we can cook and just stay in RV parks so when we played in Tammany Hall you know we stayed outside of Central Park and then when we played Knitting Factory we just like slept in our bus right outside of Knitting Factory there's free parking in New York I'm telling you yeah, so we'd find it and sleep in it because there was RV parks are never in cities, you know. We, you have yeah, back-to-back yeah, shows in yeah, the same yeah. city. You just find somewhere to sleep, so you can make it to yeah, these sometimes shows. Sometimes the Walmart's like, where there's a wilderness. Yeah, sometimes Walmart's will let you have RVs in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was looking into some RV options, but I haven't really toured that heavy. And I'm kind of a one-man show, so I, I've got tour now. I've got road cases, but you know I'm kind of a I got enough that it'll fit like a like a U-Haul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a Dodge but, but, Caravan um, and a trailer be pretty cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at different options if when I have to like go further. 
but um yeah well you, you're right on with that that's like the traditional you know you read stories about the who in their you know in six in the late well in 66 and 65 they they had to, you know these kind of really kind of low low budget uh tour buses yeah you know i i read something um not too long ago that said like where rvs and tour buses came from that there was like christian rock bands i think in the 40s and 50s and they were going i don't know from church to church or what and so they started to create buses around it around these tours um you know for musicians so you know all the rvers can thank musicians for you know even the development of rv parks and stuff that go around it and it all came around touring yeah, because when the Beatles happened, you had so many Beatle clones, you know, bands had to start touring. And so you had, you had the whole industry started building up to provide, you know, what we see today, you know, as the, as the, the you know, the tour bus. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. So let me get into the questions because we kind of couldn't round them. But so when did you first get into music? At what age? You, each of you can kind of get into Okay, that. Des, you first since you're the older one with that. Yeah, I, uh, my parents were big music fans. They liked rock and heavy metal. And so when I was like in kindergarten, I, I thought ACDC was the coolest band and Angus Young being a guitar player, I loved it. So I begged my mom for a year, like two years for guitar. So when, when I turned seven, you know, that Christmas was like the best Christmas I had gotten a guitar. And then um, I went through lessons just for like a short amount of time and learned smoke on the water. Um, didn't wasn't really fond of my teacher, and I stopped playing for a little bit. And then when I hit, you know, fifth grade, I started playing drums in school. And then in sixth grade, picked up the guitar again, and then just started playing in bands, um, kind of all throughout middle school and most of high school. And then I, you know, when I was in high school, I was kind of like a rebel, hellion child, and. Um, so when I got into college, I started playing for like a concert band at the community college I was going to. And then I just knew I wanted to continue and I, I kept playing with bands. And then I came to Columbia here in Chicago. That's, you know, it was an art school that had like a music concentration that wasn't just performance that I could, you know, it actually had a music business program. And I thought, you know, it's not you know, as practical to go to school for art. So I thought, well, you know, if I have, if it's business, I mean, this is pretty versatile. I could use it with anything. Um, So that's what kind of drove me, you know, with that. And then when I came to Chicago and I met Kristen, that's where like she opened the world of like house music, you know, performance. I loved metal because I liked high tempo. And then she showed me another genre of music that has high tempo. So then. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. Because electronic dance music and trance and, a lot of the other EBM, they all have that kind of. Yeah, she just basically power. wasn't allowed to control the music in the Jeep. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, with me, I started as a late bloomer. I was a typical kid that didn't grow up with instruments, but I had the Sony boombox. So I just started hook. I just I found out that you could hook up more than just the two. The left and right, I could, could just hook up unlimited amounts of speakers as long as, you know, depending on how your own, but anyway, I won't even get into that. But um, then I just got really into pop music. Um, Rye Carey was a big deal for me. And then Salinas and I don't know, all the stuff on the radio. And that fell into a little bit of credit card debt. And then I just went and got turntables and I'm just, I was just infatuated with electricity. And then I got something to play with electricity, which would be the decks, I guess. 
And then I kind of went all out on records and got addicted to buying them. But which is the reason why we have a Moog today. If I was still buying records as much as I did then, you know, <laughs> I just put all that <laughs> money into the synthesizers now. But um, yeah, I just did record collecting. And then that just, I don't know, just I haven't. Did you use a, like a Pioneer CDJ or use like vinyl? To uh, I got addicted to the vinyl records because once you find it at the store, you're never going to see it. So that's what kind of got me into like this massive debt. So I mm -hmm. just got on the CDJs. I've only played the CDJs at clubs when they just didn't have the turntables, the Technics. Mm -hmm. um, but I just recently got it because the CDJs now output in 192. Oh, I'm sorry, 96 kilohertz, which is stepping stone, I think. I mean, it's a reason I would go get it. Yeah, we played a gig cool. um, like earlier this year, and we noticed that when we got done playing, the the people after us, their their output was a lot clearer and louder, you know, compared to CDJs versus Technic I mean, I, turntables. I mean, I got Ortofon needles. It's the best you can get. I got... Uh, like my my techniques are completely modified or or i, I pimped my ride <laughs> where i changed out yeah. rcas to megami rcas and they have brand new grounding cables it's it's the best stuff but it's still once you when you're transferring on a digital code onto artifon needle and that it's just there's still a loss you know even if i have the highest yeah. or whatever but yeah i think that even to it depends on this you know yeah, I don't know. I could have been, I could have had tractor on like a lower gain or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's interesting because there's some people that really kind of say vinyl has like an ambience that's similar to like a mold. Yeah, it, it's warmer. Um, it's for sure warmer. Definitely yeah. has a warmth. Yeah. But then with that, yeah, you're going to so be a lower. With... Some of the, some of the, yeah. some of the, it depends on what I'm spinning too. If, you know, I barely bring my actual records around, I usually have digital coded and I use scratch records mm -hmm. that are the real vinyl. Just because I can't, for scratch, yeah, yeah. I, I have like one scratch record that I that I just bring everywhere with me in general. Um, uh, but yeah, either I mean I'm only doing middle frequencies when it comes to that record, so really it's just the convenience. I could just play my old records if it happens to be that kind of a, an event, especially for Deep House. There's mm -hmm. a lot. Of, I used to collect so much Deep House before it got so big recently. That's cool. Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, they kind of have a mixture of, of having like a real instrument with, you know, DJ type of um, techniques. It's, it's kind of a, you know, where things are going. I see a lot of acts now mm -hmm. that are bringing in like modular synths. Like I'm a big Eurorack oh, cool. guy. So the modular synths are, are, there's a lot of DJs in Europe, like in Berlin and, uh, you know, Netherlands and London. That, that have these shows that are like modular synths with DJs and rappers and hip hop mm -hmm. people. And, and they even have, sometimes will have saxophonists and live drummers. And it's kind of like, I'm mixing what Sunrod did, you know, like back in the fifties um, was this kind of, they used to do spoken word um, kind of statements on top of their jazz. Yeah, and it's kind of like what is going on today is kind of like there there are rappers that are doing like spoken word with jazz drummers and saxophonists and then a modular synthesis. So I think what you guys are doing is kind of where things are going. Yeah, you know, we noticed that um, Nam actually just came out with a new uh, Pioneer came out with a new mixer that is more channels. I mean, like 
a million more. It was for the purpose that a lot of DJs are now bringing over their guitars and you know other analog instruments. And I do believe that the sounds yeah, yeah, kind of complete each other, you know, because when, you know, for a long time when I'd play drums with her, you know, the drums would cut right through the sound. And I, I, you know, set up my drum kit to work with a DJ that I use birch shells, which has a punch to it that would cut through the mix, you know, versus, you know, a lot of, you know, jazz and rock and everything. They'll use maple because it's just so warm and it's just, you know, it's yeah. really smooth. But I, you know, so I, I went all out and I got the birch shells and that punched right through. And then the cymbals just cut right through, you know, and it was like, you know, they, they're kind of like peas and carrots, like they're two in one, you know, when you have a DJ and then when you have, you know, live sound with it, you know, there's just, you know, now that certain drums are just cut like timbales, which is the future thing I'm going to get, but that would, you can, you know, I kind of already, already sense what, what drums would sound really good with dance music. And so that's where with this album, we're kind of taking the route of that. I'm going to play drums, guitar and vocals. And Kristen's going to do, you know, like a sample pad of things that we recorded. And Oh, and we just got a drum trigger. So uh, the little Traveler's kick drum she's got, which is used in typically jazz. It's a small kick. Mm -hmm. And um, she changed, what did you change the head to make it a little bit warmer and deeper? Yeah, so we when we were touring in Canada, I I saw on the side of the road there was this twenty inch by eight inch. It's it's a really odd you know drum size, and uh, Pearl made this rhythm traveler kit, and it was just for convenience because it was so small. And so I I changed mm. out the rims from them being metal to wood and put maple wood rims on it. Um, and then we can add a drum trigger, so we can every time she hits it, she can trigger a sub kick. I mean, we can even grab the sub kick from the moog hey you know that's cool yeah you can do a yeah. lot of cool so a lot of songs had three to five kicks in it just for layering purposes you know of that club sound to the rock sound i mean we this is the first time we did like a two snares three snares on every single song just to fill space and the parts of the grid beat grid that's interesting yeah because i've been doing a lot of modular stuff I actually <clears throat> i have an eight step moog drum machine but I can extend it with my grandmother. So you can do like 26, 256 steps on a grandmother. Oh, cool. So you can extend what the what the DFAM does. And then you can actually create variability by creating, you know, all kinds of interesting multiple step drum triggers on the keyboard. Right. And then it, it goes it goes into like the uh, you know, controlled voltage triggering stuff out of the um, advanced clock on the DFAM comes into the gate in mm. on the on the on the on the grandmother. And then what happens is you get you get a drum machine but it's very organic because it's not exactly on time, which is what I like to do. I like to make sure it's like shows that it's not, not a machine as much. It seems more a little nudge. More human. Yeah. Yeah. Which gives you a kind of like a, a weird kind of variability where it's kind of a little off tempo oh, on I purpose totally agree. to kind of do yeah, that's what I like to do. I mean, I, 808s and stuff are cool, and I, I have them. But but sometimes, it's like, if you get too robotic, I like to get a little, you know, jazz going on with, yeah. like, a sunrod type That's thing. one thing is uh, Desiree refused to quantize anything, any of the notation. Because, first of all, it might ruin the whole, because we did a lot of um, just straight live recording. We didn't do the MIDI out through the Moogs. Cool. Um, that's So cool. it's just an audio track. Uh, just because we were, we, awesome. we were even having a little technical difficulty with that, with that, but we were just like, you know what? 
no wasting time. We're just going to go live record. And if this is the take, <laughs> that's just how it's going to be. There's no going back. That's that's interesting because there's a new trend I've been watching. It was like dollless recording. And mm-hmm. I've been doing dollless recording for the last 15 years. I use like Zoom R24s and Tascams. Oh, yeah. We love And Tascam. I just record my app. So I just do like a Zoom R24 and um, like a, a Tascam 24. And I just record all my analog stuff like live into my hardware recorders. Fun. Um, yeah, see what happened was that, when we bought the subsequent 37, it came with a software. And then, you know, we'd put a track down, say it was a baseline. And then, you know, I, you know, we'd set it to it being a MIDI instrument. Well, then when we went to change the instrument, you were only able to use one at a time as an, you know, external instrument. And then, so we started to run into issues. And so we went to this- Laying down 20 million Moog tracks. Yeah, so we went to the synthesizer convention and we talked to the Moog guys and said, hey, what's going on? You know, I don't think we're hooking it up right. I don't understand why we're not able to, you know, track multiple tracks with this. And they'd said, no, that's just how it is. Um, Yeah, it's not not like a Roland. Like if you get a Roland, like a a Juno, Junos can do like 256 voices. Mm Or like phantoms can do two. Cause I have a Juno and I can do 256 voices on MIDI. So I can have all this stuff going on on my digital Juno, but the, but the analog sense tend to not be able to do that. Right. They, they, they can't do that many voices. No. So that's um, where, so, that's when we started. I thought, you know what? It's just going to be like when we track the drums and guitars, like we're just going to do a, to a long take. Yeah. Long and just, take. but you know, at the same on time, yeah, you got to get like a, better <laughs> doing one long take instead of cutting it, you know, instead of recording a small take and then cutting it, deciding yeah. to keep and then recording more like the verse and the chorus all separately, which is what we used to do. This time, since we did one long take, because of the difficulty, it became better. <laughs> the structure changed. Well, that it was more human. Like we accidentally school. created tension and release really easily. <laughs> well, that's cool because, you know, if you think about the old school recording, which I used to do with like a lot of my punk bands when I was my teenager, like, we just record live, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, like the Allman Brothers and the Who and Eric Clapton. You That's know, why rap's so good. They used to just, yeah, they just take it, you know, do a live session mm-hmm. and you just kind of have everybody there. Three minute roll There's nothing like doing. Yeah, I mean, it's like the thing is, like, Pro Tools has made everybody create very antiseptic, perfect tracks. Mm-hmm. Loopy, very loopy, robotic. Yeah, yeah, they get too robotic in a way that they, even the new wave stuff. If you go back to like, you know, Joy Division and New Order, they weren't going as crazy with like digital audio workstations. They were still tracking, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff live. If you listen to New Wave or New Romantic songs, they have a little bit more life in them than some of the more modern electronics. Because I do believe like Um, you kind of put a part of your soul into it, mm -hmm. you know, and if you go and you, you know, there's certain things that I want to be perfect. Like I, the kick drum, like has to be on the grid. Like it just has to be perfect, except for that yeah, yeah. other kick at in dimes. That one was. That's yeah. a different story. Yeah, I mean, unless it's like on <laughs> purpose to make it almost sound like a, you know, a running horse or something. But, you know, I'd found when it come when it came to other things, even bass lines and stuff, where it was like, no, let's not make this perfect. Let's, you know, th- there still is that human part of it and human error. And I think that that's kind of something yeah. that makes it beautiful, you know, because anyone can take a MIDI instrument and quantize it and make sure it's perfect. And then before you know it, it sounds like a robot. It's just too perfect. Yeah, that's the problem. I think a lot of people, if you go back and listen, listen to the classic albums, you know, you listen to stuff like, you know, from like Yes and uh, 
The Who and Pink Floyd. There's a lot of happy acts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you listen to like, uh, you know, uh, Layla, another love song, the, the jam band kind of Allman Brothers style, that that can't be quantized. You know, they got two drummers going. You know, they've got like two two good rhythm guitarists going, <laughs> and it, there's things that are about that human uh, cap- capability or creativity that can't be kind of dictated into mm-hmm. the grid. You know, there's some stuff that has to, you just got to let the musician kind of do what they do. And and if you, if you try to like, I had one time I was working with somebody and they said, Oh, well, the, the doll is saying it's in the, the, the key change is, is not, is, isn't right. And I said, well, that key change is because I want to do it a little non-standard. <laughs> and so like if you just follow your dog and like get rid of all the happy accidents and make everything perfect bpm then then you lose some of the stuff that makes you know some of the classic songs that we used to listen that are like famous are because they're they're mistakes oh you're 100 percent right or, yeah i i saw a uh there was it was uh joe rogan had uh did a podcast with steven tyler and Steven Tyler was talking about how, you know, everything's so perfect these days and how there was a blues musician he really looked up to. And he said he was he was late on everything in his vocals, but it was like just perfect because it would come in on time, but it was just barely late. And there's just this human part of it that if they would have put it on grid and made it perfect, it would truly would have taken away from it. You know, yeah, I mean, if you listen to Hendrix, I mean, Hendrix. You could say, you know, today people would think that's sloppy, but it's like that's genius. Yeah. You know, the 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 kind of jazz aspects of what Hendrix was doing, what you know, Dwayne Allman was used to do, the even like the old Peter Gabriel Genesis and the kind of you know, uh, Vic Wakeman, you know, uh, Keith Emerson, they did stuff that's you know, I don't know, it's hard to express, you know, being a musician, there's something about it where it's not just on the grid, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's about what you bring to the, like a painter, you know, you're, you're kind of bringing emotion. Yeah. And, you know, Hendrick, you, you, you did do like maybe 30 different solos. And you never knew which one was the right one. And they had to figure out which one they were going to put down. And it's kind of like what the emotion was. Definitely. You know? I just saw a documentary the other night about Janis Joplin. And she was talking about how, you know, music is created from emotion to create more emotion, you know. And I, and I do believe yeah, that if totally you make true. it too perfect, that you're taking away from the motion of it. And even in that exact moment that you're recording and you're feeling it. And, you know, when, when we would do, you know, one long take in the Moog and we're messing with the filter, you know, that was in the moment we felt that, you know, and I did never want to go back and change that because that was just something in that moment that sounded perfect to us, you know, which was very human. Yeah. That's more, yeah. That's interesting. And one cool thing about, like things like Moogs, is they're so point in time. I mean, the, the Moog you have can save presets, but there are lots of Moogs that, that right. can't. And one, one of the cool things about it is like every time you go on stage, it's going to sound a little bit different. You can never get it exactly what it mm-hmm. was. And and some people can get mad at that, and then they'll get a, they'll get a Yamaha, they'll get a Roland, or they'll get a Nord because they want to have that patch. But if you kind of, you know, let that go, that can kind of drive your creativity. The fact that it's, it's always going to sound a little bit different, uh, I think is, is a plus. But some people, you know, they don't look at it that way. But Sometimes <laughs> it's a financial reason why we can't even replay the Moog, what we did on the album live quite yet. I still need two more computers to run Ableton to run 
that you know that's typical DJ processing with the Moog. Um, like uh, we use Endless Smile on the Moog quite often, just because it's a it's like a rising high pass. So those are perfect for breakdown. So we can't even really perform that live because it's only a software instrument. And there's a few other things to create that big room house sound of, you know, make yeah. forcing the Moog to be big room house. Um, so we still would need a whole Ableton, you know, designated computer and then a second one to run in parallel when it, when it shuts down during a live performance or something. But I'm not for computers. Yeah, live. yeah. You always have to have. Yeah, the computers. They always got to have a backup. Yeah. So instead, that kind of why? Why? We just bounced <laughs> um, the few synthesizers. You know, the, the few presets in Moog that you know are aren't too heavily processed, and just bounce each individual hit onto a drum pads. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not That's really cool. like you know. We played for the radio one time, like live on the radio, and Kristen got a blue screen on a Mac, and it was it was just weird, and, and it wasn't working. So we it was, it was the heat. We were in a bus all day. Yeah, so yeah, she had yeah. to go and just do vinyl, and it was fine. You know, for the show, it was great, but you know, from there, it was like you know, I don't trust computers. You know, especially if we're not in a climate controlled, which you never yeah, fully we are. Couldn't afford air conditioning. So when we went to the synthesizer <laughs> convention, we met this guy that creates you know uh like modular you know he's got this whole really cool instrument that he just made out of like cans you know and every every little mm -hmm. piece he was making and we talked to him and said you know we're really interested in trying to find a hardware version of endless smile that data life made and you know we emailed data life and was like hey is there any info you could Can put out there this <laughs> and hardware. yeah and they end up putting yeah. something like two days later on their Instagram that was a hint of what how they created it. So, you know, we sent oh, the guy cool. all the info and he and his the best he could, you know, created this, you know, sent the software plugin into a hardware pedal. It has like 99 presets in it. And so, like, you know, that's kind of exciting. We're still trying to figure out, you know, how can we use this live? Can You know, should we hook it up with the Moog and you know, we're still, our release show is going to be in March. So we're still trying to figure out like, how are we going to do this live? You know, and how can we do this without computers? Yeah. Oh. yeah Cause I mean, one, one of the things I did, because I didn't, I don't trust computers so much is as a one person band, what I end up using is, is I use my task cam and my, and my um, R24. And if you ever go back to the, to the um, mid seventies, when the Who used to play Barbara O'Reilly and won't get fooled again, they used to run the the synth off of reel to reel tapes. Mm. They used to run it off of tape machines. That whole synthesizer beginning of Barbara O'Reilly was run off a tape machine. Oh. Every time they did a show, and and the the cool thing, if you think about it, like my Zoom R twenty four, if I put down my tracks, you know, for a song, it's dead reliable. It doesn't crash like a computer. Mm -hmm. So, so I have up to 24 tracks I can mute and unmute. And so I, I actually use my digital tape machine and then play with it. Um, and so then I get the exact sound that I did for the track. Oh, that's cool. All the time. And that's a cool way of um, capturing an analog synth if you capture it on like a Tascam or a Zoom or any kind of digital recorder. And then you save it on an SD card and you have that machine with you and you put it up you know, on your gig, I've done gigs in New York with my R24 and have some backing stuff I did on my Moog that was kind of point in time. And I can actually replicate it dead reliable and it never crashes. That's awesome. 
it's so fun. it's a cool technique for analog sense to be able to capture, you know, track. You can capture the exact track and then play with it. You know, it's a, it's a you know, something I figured out a couple of years ago. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> but it kind of goes back to what Pete Townsend and who used to do that. And even like bands like Pink Floyd used to do that with some of their elaborate things that when they didn't have sequences back then, that's what they used to do. You know, I was curious because um, I just watched the documentary like two days ago about the wall and they kind of, they went, you know, it was like, all right, here's the recording, here's the live setup, here's the movie. Um, and I was looking more towards like, all right, how did they do the live? Or, you know, because they, you know, they were using, what was that synthesizer? It was like, it was like three letters, like V something. It's a really rare synthesizer um, of its Oh, time. maybe the DS, VC3? Yeah. Um, yeah, the VC, the EMS VC3 is like a really awesome British synthesizer, like an equivalent of a Moog, mm-hmm. but it, it was totally different than the other. It had like a battleship grid that had little pegs, and instead of using controlled voltage wires like you see on Eurorats, they're using wires. It used these little pegs, and the pegs were on this matrix, and it did the connections with these little pegs like battleship. Oh, fun. And it ended up in the thing is the the I guess the the polarity on the pegs would not consistent, so the thing would act very different depending on what kind of pegs you used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all, probably all give it that phasey kind of, sound. Fits like gave a really phasey sound. Yeah, it's like a Pink Floyd sound. If you listen to it, Pink Floyd used that that synth on a lot of their stuff. phasers. <laughs> yeah, it, it creates that kind of sound. It's very Pink Floyd. Yeah, Dark Side of the Moon's a huge, huge. You know, it was, it was just, even to this day, I mean, it was, I remember the first time I'd heard it and was like, wow, you know, it was the first time I'd really heard synthesizers and started to recognize it. And I love the use of, you know, their room, you know, of, you know, and distance. And, and that's something yeah. that with this album, Kristen, you know, showed me a lot of like, you know, work with your space. You don't want a wall of sound just hitting you, you know, think about the yeah. room. If you want something to come from like left and it feel like it's coming from behind you and you're only listening to left and right like how can you create that and I think you know when she started to point it out to me you know it was just even more it was like oh man you know that's you know Alan Parsons you know the engineer you know with Pink Floyd during Dark Side of the Moon I was like man they really got that well paint a box not a uh, piece of paper yeah and I think you know Alan Parsons actually I think like last year got his first Grammy because he it was um, he did like a whole Dolby you know 3D kind of soundscape for one of his own albums you know because when they did dark side of the moon it was on quadraphonic you know it was set up before and they recorded it in that way to have four speakers and then you know what was intended for music ended up taking off you know when dolby took off with star wars you know now yeah you know it's it's just you know you have the 11.1 systems and theaters and stuff songs will soon be in 5.1 everywhere coming soon (laughs) That's what, yeah, That's we're wanting to get into, like, the 3D <laughs> soundscape. Sound. When, when uh, cool. music quality catches up with TV quality, it's, it's happening. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, because, like, Pink Floyd, you know, and, and The Who, the, the Who quadrophenia was a quadraphonic sound album. Oh, it was designed yeah. To be, yeah, that's totally designed to be that way. If you find one you on know. eBay, I'm buying it. I mean, a lot of them came out. I think, like, Simon and Garfunkel, theirs was uh quadraphonic and like the do- doors of the time yeah, the apparatus that yeah. came with the vinyl oh yeah that thing oh that chick did yeah yeah, yeah there's this yeah. there's have you ever seen um what is it called like 
sound and waves or something it was the woman that did like the botula um, oh yeah and that's a really interesting documentary and she came out with an album i think she'd only made like 300 of them and she had teamed up with an australian company that they made a little receiver that just said plug in your vinyl and then plug in four speakers and <laughs> you know it was just it was just, just. <laughs> these yeah. days it's not happening you know it was, i think it was like 300 dollars for the vinyl but i thought oh man this is great because you know what you know with this happening it's kind of only right now ha- happening in sound installations and art museums yeah, i can't even get friends to listen to stereo sound yeah everyone's stuck on the mono speaker bluetooth or just listening on their phone yeah yeah i mean i grew up i, I kind of show my age i grew up you know with vinyl i'm in my 50s so um I, I, every time I bought a record, I had it in vinyl. You know, I had Led Zeppelin records with the little cutouts and the spinning wheels, and you know, it was it was cool the way they presented the work back then because you got all this art and liner notes, and music was an experience. You go to a record store, you pick up the vinyl, you put it in your hand, you, and then you would listen to the album in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Because you read that's, everything that's kind of the way you were supposed to do it. You know, yeah. Um, so I tend to be an album-oriented person. So let me talk about like your new album that's coming out in March. I've seen some previews of some of the songs on um, SoundCloud. You've got like Shady Beach and Hollow, and I listened to those, and it's really interesting. And so th- are these from that album? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, it, it, what's really cool is, you know, going from like where you're meant to listen to the album as a whole, we very much took that idea. And so it's a concept album. And, you know, I'm loving Dark Side of the Moon as much as I did. <clears throat> we set it up. I had watched a million interviews with Alan Parsons and all the guys, you know, and David Gilmore and Roger Waters. And, and they all said it happened by accident that it lined up with Wizard of Oz. And anyone can create a score. So I don't know if it really did happen by accident, but the sheer fact that it could have happened by accident. So we yeah. set up our album as a concept album that, the last song is called Time, and the first song of the album is called Travel. And so the album's meant to be heard as a whole in a loop. Um, cool. And that's where we're pressing on vinyl, you know, for the first time with it. And just to just to set it up, you know, what if it could go with a movie? Like, we just set it up that it could go with picture. But there's far out <laughs> other reasons. Like, endless loop, it's like life itself is an endless loop in our eyes the world or the mm-hmm. universe is just infinity so you could just it's a kind of like um like a small branding thing where there's even duality to this you know like, like the digital and analog duality this 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 whole concept album is about dark and happy um the the album cover will have a disco ball but it's holographic and behind it is a dented cap the dust cap of a speaker so it's like damaged goods hiding behind a shiny disco ball um so there's so many That's concepts totally- i don't even know i mean even the um the endless loop thing it, it, we're kind of um into how do you call it um ancient knowledge <laughs> no. conspiracy <laughs> theories and all that fun jazz yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's cool that you guys are doing a concept record because I mean that's that's where I've been into progressive rock, you know, ever since I was a kid, and everything the Ghost does. I mean, we've done tons of projects that are concept albums. Um, that's kind of where we live, and um, you know, we're in like you know what Genesis did with like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, 
um, you know, Tommy, Hardafinia, you know, The Wall. That's kind of what we grew up listening to stuff like that. And, you know, even Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. You know, we, we, we kind of grew up listening to albums that were meant to be heard as whole projects. So every time we do something, we tend to do it from like, like it's a novel, yeah. mm-hmm. like it's a short story. And, and it's cool to see musicians still doing that because some people are kind of in this age where, you know, it's just a Spotify playlist and it's all over the map. Yeah. It's cool to see you guys doing that. And our al- the album has a lot of um, songs that are very different from each other, but still somehow is 128 beats per minute and dark and set at the same time. But, you know, one would be Deep House. This one would be, gosh, like time travel is really rock and jazzy. Um, nowhere near the I mean it's kind of close to Deep House but the 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 we come from a lot of genres the both of us it's just too many so I do like the album in album you know when people do make albums in general just because it's a time period in your life you happen to be listening to that style at that moment because I've gone through I've had a house phase I had super soulful house a giant phase of that Um, European style trancy stuff I mean the list goes on and you know right now my current aura <laughs> is l- more of a jazzy performance when it comes to symbol the rock uh, is like i like the snare sound and the hand claps from house music so both of them are needed mm-hmm. there's two types of kicks the rock kick and then the club kick and it's just what i'm into right now i'm sure 10 albums from now it'll be no beats whatsoever. I'm sure it'll be experimental. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to, uh, I was watching a, a documentary with Peter Gabriel, and he was in this phase where, like, no cymbals, no hi-hats, just bass yeah. and drums. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to a real of Peter Gabriel, he would dictate, like, I don't want any hi-hats, I don't want any cymbals, I just want kick and... Yeah, you know, I, I have it. a strong feeling and, and I'm going to become this person that doesn't want anything on the two or the four or the one. Okay, just the three. <laughs> okay, I'm left with nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because he'd be in the studio and he'd tell the drummer like, nope, 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 nope don't do that. Yep. Even with progressive music, there's one story like on the album So, they had the drummer do like 90 takes and then they took tape and then they spliced the 90 takes and rearranged the order of the drum um, part and it was all done by splicing tape and taping it back together. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what progressive bands, you know, like the George Martin style of production that people used to do. Um, you know, people do it on the grid, but it's cool when you actually do it on an analog tape. It has a different feel. Mm-hmm. But, Definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. You guys are, are kind of really like, in the space I, I love when I talk this whole project I've been doing since uh, 2018 is, um, you know, I'm a musician and producer myself, but I like to talk to musicians. And what I found is that, you know, there were people on the net that were charging musicians to do interviews. And I said, you know, I just like to talk to musicians that I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just do it for free and see what happens. And, it's it's just really cool to be able to talk to indie music singer songwriters and and figure out where they're coming from and what they're doing, and you know I've talked to over like forty artists in the last two years, That's you know, awesome. all over the world, 
and it's I think it's a, it's an education. Like if you're a musician, you always want to be able to, to interact with other musicians, and it's really cool to be able to to talk to creative people. Yeah, and you know, it's it, it's interesting you say that is because you know we find that you know as being a couple of engineers, you know, we don't have a lot of people to talk to about it. I'm sure our, our friends are sick of hearing about music and. You know, or at least I'll talk about compressor. Hey, how's your compressor? Oh, okay, let me explain to you a compressor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and, and to analyze music in that way and in sound as a whole. I mean, even like Foley arts and, you know, different things that, you know, that people just don't realize. You know, I remember my mom like loved that movie, Fried Green Tomatoes. And she goes, oh, I just want my fried green tomatoes to have that crunch that when she takes a bite of it, it's that crunch. And later in life, I'm like, oh, that was Foley. <laughs> you know, that wasn't, that wasn't like yeah, yeah. there when they, you know, were filming. Like She's that was still something. trying to find those fried green, <laughs> get that crunch, you know, and it's just. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I mean, I talked to people, you know, they're doing like digital recording and then people were saying, oh, they gotta have a Neve board or get Neve, Rupert Neve oh, stuff. Oh yeah, those mic trees, jeez. Yeah, the, the, everything he did, like if you go to, you know, you ever seen a movie Sound City? It, it was, you know, there was this big Neve board, a sound board that he created. Like the whole board was his technology. Mm-hmm. And I guess Fle- Fleetwood Mac Rumors was done on oh, cool. it. Um, a bunch of really classic albums were done on it. They were um, so, like Neve the was so good and, that I, I'm yeah. traumatized and I didn't do anything with recording after college until recently. <laughs> it just, I felt like, um, the Neve quality was so good that you just can't do anything cheaper. So we just didn't really, pre- that's why our album is out a million years later after we started performing. It's just, we, at, after the, uh, after we were in an accident, we just figured, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna have phase issues. We're gonna not have a Neve uh, mic pre. We're just gonna record with what we have and, and then, and then try to use uh, a concept we now call hi-fi and a lo-fi budget. You know, we, it's just no Neve mic pre, just and but we combine two microphones that you normally wouldn't combine to do one vocal track. Um, but of course, that's where phasing can happen, and I was taught never to do that. But in this point in time, I just don't care. But it sounded really great, and it's also a similar Pink Floyd phasing effect on accident. Yeah, I mean, we used it well, for benefit really cool, in that yeah. way, and then we, oh, yeah. That's we're really into we got a Tascam field recorder and we got really into going out and taking field recordings and adding elements of nature oh. and you know that 3d soundscape because you know like we like to go ha- camping and hiking and you know when you go out and you're just sitting by a bonfire and you hear you know all the crickets and the frogs and you know all the different sounds it's like man they're all just performing as one it's just this big symphony just all around you all you have to do is just listen And from that was like, you know, when Kristen was describing, you know, the space, when we create an audio space, you know, and in trying to get sounds to come from behind you, I quickly associated with the sounds trying to mimic nature, you know, and how you would hear something just by being out in the woods, sitting next to a fire and just listening. That's interesting because like there's a famous Yes album. I don't know if it was like um, Fragile or Closer to the Edge. I think it's Closer to the Edge. It starts with a nature recording in the woods, they actually took a field recorder and recorded the woods. Oh, cool. And the beginning of that progressive album starts with the sounds of that woods, you know, being EQ'd in, in, on, in a, on a nice soundboard. But but it actually, you know, that's how it starts. And a lot of progressive bands used to do stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, well, we're, 
you know, Pink, Pink Floyd used to do all kinds of like, you know, recordings of people just saying statements. Oh, yeah. And then like outside noises and all kinds of interesting things that if, if Roger Waters and Gilmore would figure stuff yeah, out. Yeah, and then the animals yeah. album. Nature never gets old. We started the album with cicadas, crickets. Oh, I saw. Oh, I saw. Hear me out. It started. Oh, yeah. But the whole album starts with the sound of cicadas. We were, it was fall time and we were mixing the last track. And then the window was open and we heard the cicadas. And it was like, wait a minute. That's that's on time. And the the field recordings fill a lot of space in a song. So you can do a small amount of tracks all of a sudden because the air from your field recording took up so much of the spectrum. I mean, it was, we didn't even have enough RAM or. SSD type of drive for a computer to run the program well enough to have more than 50 tracks. So we were limited there too. I mean, the cicadas mm-hmm. and the crickets and all the nature recorded from the Tascam just took up the size of 10, what would have been 10 tracks. And it was nice because we would wow. go, you know, we'd go, you know, like we went to St. Louis and we went into a parking garage and like grabbed some field recordings and, you know, we have a bonfire in our backyard and we ground. Samples, yeah. And so we just started grabbing actual sounds and chopping them up and using them as dram- drum samples. Yeah, there's one company, Splice, that everyone seems to be grabbing their sounds from. And I feel like now everybody sounds the same. Well, that that's one of the dangers that I see. Like with things like that, is is everybody grabs these same libraries samples and, and the same libraries all the time. And that's kind of why I use modular analog synths because I create my own tones. I'm creating my own timbres, you know. I, I, oh, and I even when I when I sample, I sample my own material. Mm-hmm. That's what you I know. We like did a on a song the same thing where we sampled our own material that we bounced the song through it in reverse. And then for the breakdown, it was the actual song just thrown in reverse, and it almost gave it like a Disney sound. It was odd, you know, because we'd yeah. we'd use tuning forks, um, you know, at different points that we'd actually threw in reverse. So then when we bounce the track and then threw that part in reverse, all of a sudden now the tuning forks are going in, you know, forward time. Everything else is in reverse, and then you know it was just really far out, and we ended up really liking it, and it was. You know, with lower budgets come higher creativity. You know, it's like, well, how can we do more with less? And I think it was like reggae or something started in Jamaica because they had, you know, poor um, like JBL speakers. Blown. Blown, blown speakers, yeah. you know. Jazz bass sound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, um, Jamaica. Yeah, That's like crazy. the Kinks. The Kinks used on that famous, like, you know, you really got me. It was a broken speaker. It was a speaker that they picked, they, they, um, uh, uh, the, the lead singer of the Kinks, his brother's the guitar player, and he like broke a speaker, hmm. and then I mean, he broke his amp, and then he got that sound that like, you got me, you really got me now. He got it; it was a broken amp. <laughs> it's so interesting how things come from mistakes because I think I remember reading about like the 808, um, and it was like there was these transformers that they're getting, and they're actually they're like. Um, What's the word? Like mistake transformers or got the wrong ones? Who yeah, glitchy. yeah, there's a glitch in it. There's a glitch in it that makes the sound why people like it. Yeah, <laughs> there was there was something yeah. with it, and it was a mistake gone good, you know. And and I believe it's, in it's that. It's like it's yeah, it's kind of like the mini mog. The, the mini mog is famous that it kind of overboosts the signal. It, it, it wasn't supposed to be like that on on the actual ladder filter. It wasn't it wasn't supposed to do what it does. It was actually an error, but, but all the musicians found it, and they were like, "Moog was going to correct it." And the musicians said, "Oh no, we like it." 
Yeah. Like Emerson said he liked it. All these other musicians said they liked it. You know, Bernie Wall said he liked it. Waitman said they liked it. Like, no, no, don't get rid of that. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's like these beautiful mistakes. Ooh, that's, a good that's what's really cool because I mean I use a sampler called a morphogene from Make Noise. It's a Eurorack sampler, and one of the cool things it does is like it does a time warp, oh, where cool. basically it can it can take like two parts of a song from just two different points in time, and it merge them. Oh, cool! Fun. So it can take something from like the beginning of the reel, the middle of the reel, and then kind of make them all happen simultaneously. So it's like having a multi-track sample within one reel and you can do all kinds of really interesting things and then because it's a because it's a Eurorack sampler you can kind of override the workflow of the sampler and then send it all kinds of triggers from other things that you could send like an 808 into it and then you could you know run a filter into it you could run an envelope into it you can do all these crazy things and then it gets very George Martin like you're doing like backward tape type stuff but even different than that because you're kind of merging things mm-hmm. and so you, you can create very unique soundscapes or sound paintings which are like Hendrix uh, described electric ladyland somebody asked him like what are you doing here and he said well it's a sound painting and if you listen to electric lady it's kind of like that because he's making the guitar sound like birds yeah and water and all kinds of cosmic stuff and and people have asked him what did, what, did, what was he doing it's like I'm, I'm a sound painter it's a sound painting. Very cool. You know, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I kind of use that a lot in, in what I do, because I think if you get into real progressive music and you're doing experimental stuff, you kind of think of it, you are a sound painter, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how you, you layer your, your, your different tools as a musician. You can kind of build your canvas, your sonic canvas, you know, definitely with all the different things. Yeah, it's true. So it sounds like you guys are totally there. You're doing that awesome creative process. You're creatives and you're, and you're really stepping out. Yeah, it's, What's the name of the new album oh, going to be? Do you have it's actually called The Moment. It's uh, kind of a tribute to our bus. It, you know, when we bought that shuttle bus, it had on the side of it said Precious Moments Child Care. And we just left it on because we felt like, well, maybe people would drive safer around us if they think there's kids on board and, you know, we won't get pulled over as much and... That ended up not being true. We got like <laughs> rear-ended by yeah, like. Yeah, but the witness pulled over because she thought there was a buttload of kids in there. Yeah, like we so. ended up getting rear-ended by a semi-bus uh, like two years ago. Wow. So it was kind of in that exact moment um, that it, everything in our lives changed. You know, that, you know, Kristen was in the hospital for a month with 15 broken bones. And we really started to evaluate, you know, it was like this taste of death of, you know, where we're at. We're musicians that have one song. We were performers, not artists. And from there, we're like, mm-hmm. we need to work on our artistry. And we went full time with it and are taking a huge gamble with money that, you know, we don't have using credit cards and things. And it's scary. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, like everything could just collapse on us. But it was just this moment of like, you know, I don't care because when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to regret making this album and doing the things that I really care about, you know. And so then I I started having these dreams, you know, in, in the midst of creating that was like this godlike person telling me to do things in our in my dreams and sound engineering god yeah it was odd like yeah you gotta get that parametric EQ. yeah like there was like i had this dream that said take the vocals do three tracks and do one far left turn it down do one far right turn it down have your center and front and you know fill it up that way i had another dream that was like 
there was this EQ that I'm every time I'd click on it, it would, you know, I would able to, you know, manipulate, you know, I wasn't just stuck with six bands. It was just like a multi-band EQ. I could do whatever. And then I ended up finding out it exists and it's called fad filters EQ. And it was the best investment. Like the way it looked. Like, the way it looked. Like it had the yellow oh. color. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, I had a dream about this and this thing does exist. You know, I, I had a dream like later so on. we had was factory plugins. Yeah, so it was like these things, like things were like kind of speaking to us and thing we we're learning about things when we needed to learn about it. We, you know, when we started doing more, you know, research on like synthesizers and, you know, went into that rabbit hole and, you know, everything just, you know, evolved to be where we're meant to be right now, you know. And so that's where the moment, you know, the album being called The Moment was just all these series of moments have like now come together and, you know, kind of the seize the day type thing of like we're taking a huge gamble we're now looking for pr the album was on credit yeah <laughs> and you know it worked yeah. out because like when when it happened the wreck happened our friends started to go fund me and ask for ten thousand dollars and you know all of our friends got together and ended up pulling over twelve thousand dollars and so we just like put it into getting a moog synthesizer and two thousand dollars worth software instruments and you know, my guitar, you know, we had a computer and monitors and, you know, guitar and a bunch of stuff that got broken in the wreck, you know, and so we were able to like, replace it. And, awesome. you know, so it was kind of this like serendipitous type thing that. I mean, maybe it was good moment. that I was supposed to be traumatized from college and thinking you cannot record unless you have a Neve. Um, and now I'm just, yeah. uh, <laughs> after the accident, I'm like, you know, screw it. We're just going to have to record right now. <laughs> with whatever we have maybe we'll just go ahead and finally drop more money to get a moog and you know fab filter and everything that we didn't have that you know did really help the quality of the album but not necessarily does not have to be an la2a compressor a neve mic pre and a neumann microphone yeah i mean if you think about it you know the whole like punk aesthetic um you know if you bands like the ramones and who's could do replacements it, it wasn't about having like the perfect sound. It's kind of like the, the attitude or, or the passion behind it. It's like TJ World, man. They're over there bumping 96 kilohertz. No. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, another thing I ran into not too long ago, you know, was the, the movie Clerks. And I started to, you know, I have a big VHS, VHS collection and I was watching it and I started to, you know, look more into what Kevin Smith and how he made the movie. And he was working at the store at the time and he, I guess he got in a car accident and he got some insurance money from that. And then he maxed out like four credit cards or something. And he literally like was working during the day and shooting at night and was even sleeping some preset location. Yeah. And I think they had like, you know, 20 some odd days or whatever to shoot the entire film. And, you know, it's this thing that he took that gamble too. that was like, we're putting everything on the line with money. We don't have just with the, Fingers crossed that, you know, we could, we could die being musicians without music. Yeah, it could create a career in it, you know, a modest career, you know, and and that's what like kind of keeps me going was like, you know, we were able to book our tours and we were able to do all this um, while working, you know, and it was just, we were spread too thin. And, you know, at this very moment, we're like, no, we're going to concentrate on recording first. You know, but it all works out because, you know, everything revolved around music. Like I was a bartender for a long time and Kristen got into real estate. But we also so, had to build a house, so we bought a studio, and then get get some income. From yeah, that. we bought a multi, we bought a multi unit, and we rent upstairs, rent downstairs, so it covers a majority of our mortgage. You know, we pretty much pay utilities. 
so our life got cheaper and then we're like, all right, whining and dining, we can't do it. We don't have the money to do it. We need to buy, you know, this mug and, you know, these <laughs> things. CJ's real quick. And so we just like, it's, it's kind of the suspense that we joke around about every day is like, what is going to happen? You know, like we're just really putting ourselves in this really shaky moment. And I was talking to one of my best friends about um, Anvil, you know, the story of Anvil, this documentary and, you know, where, where they're at and really showing like, you know, the hard points of like, how are we going to get this recording done? We've just made 13 albums and, you know, and, and it was like one of these things that it's really beautiful because they're really showing, they showed how hard it is, you know, that it's not yeah. just being a musician and recording and, you know, whatever. It's like, we had to build a house. I had to learn web design and graphic design and video and stop motion and you know, all these things that don't pay. We built the house. So we had to learn how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. to make it cheaper. <laughs> so it's like kind of this suspense little moment that we're at that, you know, we have, you know, 20 grand in the bank and we have 20 grand on credit card debt right now. And we're at, at exact zero. And, <laughs> you know, it's... Well, I think if you talk to a lot of musicians, I mean, people who are musicians, they usually, they, they put themselves in situations because they love the music. Yeah. Yep. You know? You've got to make the gamble. And, um... I was raised Filipino and it was really difficult for me. Oh my gosh. I mean, my parents, if they knew what was really happening, I would just, I don't know. <laughs> Better for them not to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it is this like really well, suspenseful kind of yeah. story of where we're at. And I think it'll just add to the end, you know. Well, if you if you know the story of tons of bands, I don't know if you ever heard of the band Death. Um, it was like a punk, black punk rock band, and they never got big until they did this. Like a documentary was done about it, and then they, the one there was like a three brothers in the band, and one of them died um, after you know before they ever really got famous. They got famous because the movie was done about them. Right. <laughs> um, like twenty years after the fact, and then people went and got into their music and. Sometimes you get stories like, I mean, the Velvet Underground weren't big in their time, but everybody knows Lou Reed and the Velvets now is like super inspirational. Or a band like Alex Chilton's Big Star was never big during its prime. But then a lot of people name check them like the Pumpkins and Wilco and, you know, all kinds of famous like 90s, early 80s bands name check Big Star as like being one of their big influences. Like REM name checked them. Um, but it's, you know, you never know as a musician, you do what you do because you're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And usually what happens when you're passionate about something, then people come to you. I mean, REM were, were this, you know, college radio, small band. And they did things the way they wanted and the world came to them. Yeah. They kind of defined like the indie, indie rock. Like I, I read <laughs> this thing that Bjork said saying, if you try to please everyone, you're going to please no one. If you aim at trying to please no one, you may just accidentally please everyone. And it really kind of stuck with me in that way, you know, that I, I think like it, some years ago we saw like the Lumineers or something got their, got a Grammy and they just said, we just never gave up. We just kept touring. We were just the band in the bus. And it, it was, it really kind of spoke to us in that way that was like, you know, well, what, there is no point in ever giving up. If this is something that makes you happy, just keep doing it. And everyone's going to tell you that they don't understand why you're doing it and that you shouldn't be doing it. But that's even more the reason to do it because maybe people don't understand, but it's like, this is how we're getting our emotion out. And, you know, our band name being Dan Sloud, I had a dream about it last night that someone was like, well, your 
band name doesn't really match the music. It's really dark and emotional. It's not really dance loud. And I was like, well, that's what it used to be. And then this accident happened. So and you then, must have listened to side B. Yeah, you know, that it was like, you know, now our souls went into it and our feelings at the time, you know, and the depression of, you know, after, you know, fuck, we like built this tour bus, we built this house, all this stuff. And then it just felt like everything just fell on us. And it was like, you know what, like, this is what makes me happy. This is what, where I'm getting my emotions out. And I'm, I think the best thing for us would be for someone to hear it and be like, you know, what? I feel that. And I've been there, you know, and I know what it feels like to struggle because being humans are hard. I don't know what planet we came from, but coming to this planet has been I difficult. Mean, even so, the bus represented uh, uh, an escape. It wasn't all about, that was the other thing. It's like, there's still life that, the everyday's life struggle, everyone seems to have. Like the tour bus was, was that van life hashtag where you just want to escape from the world. And it was our way to escape from our jobs, you know, that were making us unhappy. It's just the moment well sometimes dark. yeah something big it's yeah it's her it's her like uh obituary yeah. the bus itself yeah i mean yeah it's interesting because i mean i'm a cancer survivor i had like i'm in my 50s i got cancer when i was in, uh, in my late 20s Whoa. and uh, i was always into music and i i just never gave up and i i've been doing music since i was 17 i'm in my 50s oh, and yeah. you know I, I finally got got a contract when i was age 51 I got a distribution recording contract with a New York record label, but like I, I, I never gave up because I just, you know, and I got this podcast. I've been interviewing bands and I've been able to do my music kind of on my own terms, the way I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just what you do. You, you do music because you believe in it and you never give up because it's like, if you're, if you're trying to be like the biggest pop star in the world, you may, maybe you're never going to get that. Um, but if you just want to do music and you believe in it, it, it'll find a different path. You know, you find different things. I found this podcast just because I kept on doing music and never stopped. You know, so you, I always just encourage people to do what you believe in and you know, you, you, the market will, will come to you. Definitely. I believe that. Oh, def I mean, it's not even about making the it. It's just the journey itself, which is what the bus taught us. It's like it wasn't even about. We were just having a blast, just living that life, just constantly putting music in our life, and you just continue to do that. And really, to us, it's just a bonus of something like a Grammy were to happen or whatnot, because just just the album is like a baby. It's like we don't have any kids, but it's like same it feels very similar you made it you raised it it came from where you came from and then there it is <laughs> and it's not even about where it goes yeah, once, once, yeah. you know well you know when it comes out what we like to do with people on, on our podcast we've had multiple interviews with some of our guests in the last two years um where when they have an album release we do an episode where we actually talk about the album track by track so I would invite you to come on when your album is the movement is 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 ready to come out. We could do a album release episode. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because I mean, every single song is, you know, it it you know I I feel that art is the reflection of reality, you know, and and it's a lot about you know the reflections of right now, you know, and the state of just the world, you know, and the the biggest thing is there is that duality of, you know, trying to spread positivity. But at the same time, pointing out, you know, little things like the song, like hollow is like saying, like, are we, are you hollow inside? And the whole thing about the song is it's it's showing that 
humans are 50% good and 50% bad. You know, every single one of us, you know, there's something, everyone does something to justify what they do, you know? And so that's where it's like, it, it's nice because, you know, I've, there's a song called dimes that, you know, is pretty much talking about, you know, getting paid a dime and, you know, doing all the work and my boss is getting paid a dollar and, and feeling overworked and underpaid and underappreciated. And I thought, you know, we are blue collar people and that's who we're speaking to is, you know, people that feel that way. And I think that's something very valid because, you know, we're people, you know, we just work our whole lives away to save up till when we're like 70 and then we're too tired to experience it. You know, it's just kind of this, if whatever you care about, just do it now because like, it's you never journey. know when you're just going to get hit by a bus. Yeah. yeah. So, so you better yeah. be on a good ride. Yeah. And just, and I think the, yeah, that's kinda, the thing is like, enjoy. it's totally true. Enjoying that journey is because we should have bought AC from the beginning. You know, when I, I talked to, I, you know, this musician not too long ago and he's like, I just want to make it and go, well, what does it look like? And, and he was like, it, I just want to make it. And I was like, okay, well, if you say that you want to go to the moon, you're trying to build a ladder to get there, you know, like, what does the moon look like when you get there? <laughs> you know, like, what does it feel like? What does it, it feel good? Yeah. I was like, what kind of house do you live in when you have made it? And he goes, well, I like my house. And I go, oh, well, then you've already hit a ladder on your way to the moon. That's one step that, you know, you've hit success in that way. So, so what does it feel like when you're there and what does it look like? You know, and I've realized there's a lot of famous people that don't feel they made it. Yeah. Like they're just, they're, they're reaching for the moon, but they don't know what the moon looks like when they get there. And then they become just sad the entire time. You know, it's us artists, you know, we, you know, we all kind of suffer from depression and stress and low self-esteem and low confidence and these things. But the whole thing is just enjoying it, you know, and, and that's something I've been trying to, you know, embed into myself. And I send myself three times a day, these gratitude things at two, six and 10. That's like, Hey, what are you grateful for? Like, think about this, you know, to try to, you know, reprogram my mind to like not take things too seriously because this life is just a game. You know, it's, it's like a movie. It's got suspense and thriller and trauma and action and love and, you know, drama and comedy. And we're just, you know, I, all of us just have our own movie, you know? So that's where I've, I started to like, think very clearly about like, well, what are my goals? And, you know, and I think that, you know, I, one big goal for me was just to be working on music every day. Well, that's one of my goals and I'm there and I feel grateful for it, you know, and I find that to be successful. Cause in the end, we're probably just light beings that are just transferring energy when we die. So really this life is just a millisecond of our entirety. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> we're kind of far out. Yeah. I decided like what you said, like you, you got to can't wait till you're 70 to do what you want. When I had cancer, when I was 28, I decided, you know what, everybody else that was playing band would, you know, that was doing bands in the basement with me, they got married and they stopped. Yeah. Right. I, I never stopped because after I had cancer, so I'm, I don't care if I'm going to be the next mm -hmm. Tom Petty or whatever, or Bernie Worrell. Yeah. I'm just going to do this because I love it. Yeah, and right. I survived cancer. And I, I, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Why do people <laughs> stop? I don't understand the purpose of it. What was the point of even starting? Yeah. I was like all my friends that were musicians all stopped. And they said, well, it's kind of like that was a phase. And I was like, I never stopped. I kept on going it's and an I addiction. still create to this day. Yeah. yeah. I have a home studio and I just write every day. 
I mean, I can't do what you say. I'm, I'm making it because every day I can go into my home studio and I can write whatever I want. Yeah. And nobody can stop me from doing that because I own mm-hmm. it. Um, so, so that's why I'm able to produce the music I do. I pretty much produce music like every day. <laughs> and you know, I, I do have this like, I, I wonder, I, I talked to this bass player like this past summer and he was, he was talking about how he got tinnitus. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's like, you know, one of my worst fears. And, and I was like, you know, I've heard of people like using meditation and, you know, noise cancellation and, you know, different things to help with tinnitus. And, you know, and I kept trying to inspire him like, no, no, just don't give up. Just don't give up. And finally he had said, he goes, it's just that I wasn't good enough and it didn't happen. So I just gave up because like, I'd rather give up and know that maybe I could have than have tried and didn't. And I thought, oh man, that is not the way, it's not the way to look at it. Like you don't need money, power, and fame to enjoy what you're doing. Just do what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I just enjoy playing. And, and the thing is, like, I, I, because I keep on playing, I got this podcast. Mm-hmm. I got, I got you know, this podcast is, um, oh, well, Anchor is part of Spotify. And they found me on my SoundCloud. I had a bunch of, you know, I had a certain amount of listens on SoundCloud. So they approached me and said, hey, would be interested in interviewing musicians and stuff. And so I said, yeah, I, I'd be into that because I'm, I'm an indie guy, you know, and I, I like other indie musicians. So I found it as a platform and it helps, you know, with my own music, it helps people, f- you know, find out about me mm-hmm. and then I find out about them. And it's, you know, I spend time doing this so I can't do my music all day because I have to do this too, but this is enjoyable and it's part of the whole process. You kind of like, okay, well, this is where my, 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 my fame is going. You know, people are knowing me maybe more for my podcast than my own music, but you still, I still get to do my music. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so you kind of find your niche and you and you keep on working. And I never stop doing my own music. So it's it's just interesting. You, you just find out where you're gonna go, and you never know where your music brings you. You know, mm-hmm. you you could end up getting some kind of sync licensing deal. You know, with with your music, you could end up you know working with filmmakers. You could you, you could work with a video game company. You know, I'm an electronic musician, so there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Yep, dial um, in what you want. Yeah, that's actually a big goal of mine. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, licensing is like the biggest way to get out there. Influence marketing. I do some influence marketing stuff because of the stuff I do. And, you know, it's not my number one goal is to be an influence marketer. But, you know, you do what you can, you know, so I can buy the next mode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. So I can keep on creating something new. And, you know, if I'm able to get the next mode or my next modular, and keep on making refining my sound. That's my goal. How do we buy shares um, on that? Oh, it's, well, he's bought it all. I bet. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, I probably got to kind of close it off now. But this is going to get published tonight on eleven different platforms, including Spotify and Apple, Radio Public, and Overcast. And I'll send you um, the the biggest links that are out there. Uh, we have an integration with Instagram, so the Spotify. Um, version of this podcast can get um, launched from a highlight on your Instagram. Oh, perfect. Awesome. So we, I will put them on my um, Instagrams, which I have a Josephine Electric, who's my alter ego. Okay. <laughs> and then my expansive sound and a couple other ones and my Facebook and my blogger. So I will push this um, on all those platforms. And I hope to talk to you guys in March when your album comes out. Oh, definitely. It was great talking to you. Episode. Yes. Sounds like we're all. Thank you. Yeah, I I wish you great success. And I 
you know, if I get out there touring in the next year or two, maybe we'll we'll, we'll run into each other. Oh yeah, hey, <laughs> well, if you come to here, Chicago, let us know, and we can we'll set I'll you set, set set up a tour if you need. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always looking to get out there. Usually, I end up in New York because that's closer to me because I'm in the Northeast. But um, you know, Boston and New York tend to be where I hang out. They're but, building um, like twenty you know, million more music venues, so they're trying to make Chicago a little bit uh more of what it what it hasn't been what it used to be yeah that'd be cool yeah it'd be cool because i mean that's a good that's got a big history in blues mm -hmm. but um blues yeah, jazz house cool gospel gospel yeah, yeah. no yeah. not jazz blues gospel house yeah 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 awesome awesome okay okay well i'll talk to you guys for sure we'll be i'll be talking in march just let me know when you're when you're ready to do another show we'll do it great. sounds awesome all right good talking to you have, Have a good weekend. Thank you.